Welcome back, everyone. We've made it. Spring is here, and we are back with episode 55 of AIR, an interview podcast series with a different theme each episode. As usual, we're starting off with a few housekeeping bits. You can follow us on Instagram at at underscore air podcast or on Patreon at patreon.com slash air podcast. We've also got a semi-regular Substack newsletter, which you can find at airpodcast.substack.com for updates on the show and short essays from me. This month, I'm joined by Dutch-Italian producer and sound designer, Amy Portioli, also known as Grand River. After her celebrated first full-length, Pineapple, which debuted on the iconic Spazio Disponibile back in 2018, Grand River established herself within a world of cinematic sound, best loved for her narrative style, which sees her experiment not only in electronic music, but also in acoustic instrumentation, sound installation, and beyond. Her latest record, All Above, effortlessly mutates from droney bass pieces to vaporous atmospheres. It was a particular pleasure to hear this album live at Berlin's Silent Green in its all-engulfing, enrapturing glory. This kind of deep experience is one of Grand River's specialties, as a performer of course, but also as a producer and composer, and in this conversation, we explore all the ways in which her music immerses the listener in her unique world. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I want to start off by talking about your recent performance at Silent Green here in Berlin for your album, All Above. So we were sitting inside this kind of giant dome and the visuals were minimalistic, but there was a lot of sound and a lot of light encircling us. So maybe you just want to talk a bit about your performance. How how would you describe your performance as you experienced it? The new tour of the of the album is... I didn't want to have like a vi- visual projection behind me like I have with uh, with the audio video show. So there is no screen, there is no projection behind me, mm-hmm. but it's uh, there is light design. So what you saw is just light design and, and smoke. And there is also uh, a robot mirror actually hanging mm-hmm. on uh, above me and which reflects. So this, this mirror is controlled uh, by the light engineer and reflects lights in different places. Okay. So we started this uh, particular setup and the venue, yeah, it was, was really, really nice place to 
to have the first show and to premiere it was really great. I loved it. And I also thought it was so different, as you said, to, to in comparison to having this, this kind of screen of visuals behind you. I thought it was really interesting kind of looking up and looking back. Okay, and I kind of felt like sometimes it felt like we were outside. Sometimes I felt like we were in a forest and we were lost. And there was this red light that you used at some points that kind of felt like it was searching for us a little bit. I kind of had this whole story right. going that, in my that's, head. That's interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's very interesting to to hear what the audience mm-hmm. experienced. So that's that's really that's really nice. And um, every place is different because, of course, it depends on the size mm-hmm. and uh, how the how big the stage is, how big the the, the venue is. Mm-hmm. So. I like the fact that the light. I'm just now talking about the light design is, of course, adaptable to where. To yeah. the, so, of course, the the visual artist, the light des- designer, has to every time set it up <laughs> differently. So, it's quite some um, some work. It's been a long project to to develop, and I'm super happy to finally have the first show. It's it's always a nice. I mean, it's an important moment, right, when mm. you bring an album live out because it's. A whole other approach, like of, of composing it at home and or mm-hmm. in your studio, and so it's a moment of coming forward and uh, bringing it to to the people. So I was really excited. I'm I'm very happy how it went, and I'm very much looking forward to to tour this show. What was your intention for the story told by that performance, like visually and sonically? Do you like that people kind of get to make their own? ideas of what the story is like as I just explained about you know feeling like I was in the forest do you like that people can kind of create the story in their head and attach their own emotions and personal experience to it I do I mean I think art is very subjective so how we experience any kind of art is very subjective so in this case musical and uh, visual experience is different for everyone and I like that there is a kind of room for interpretation. I mean, the music for, for the show, the music came first, of course, and uh, together with the with the light designer, we decided how can we transform this or how can we support this part uh, with some specific uh, visual aspect. So it was very, very nice ha- combination of, of elements. I like the fact that it's approached and interiorized differently by by people for sure i guess this is all sort of leading up to me asking about what i hope will be an important topic for you as a composer and a producer the immersive experience so is immersiveness something that you're thinking about as a producer or a performer i do think about it but not only as a composer or producer but also as a listener like mm-hmm. i really like the immersive experience when i go to a concert or an installation i guess because like when when an experience is immersive it's it becomes personal like you have to confront a bit with yourself uh, kind of it's interiorizing in it in another uh sense of when something is more like right in front of you right Mm -hmm. so um i really like for this show i really wanted to create an immersive experience and uh yeah, I hope we, we managed. I definitely got that vibe. Like, do you think that there's something about the sounds that you're making, you know, atmospheric or ambient or however you want to call them, that promotes that idea of immersiveness or something similar? Or do you think it takes the performance as a whole to kind of reach that level? I think, of course, it's it's hard to, to reply to this question because <laughs> I made the pieces. So yeah. um, what for me can be immersive or more intimate mm-hmm. can be... A, 
felt differently from for who is listening so therefore i, I was saying like it's always very subjective mm. right so um but i think p the pieces taken on their own like how you would listen to the album mm -hmm. can be uh, immersive on their own but of course the when you translate an album into a, a live show which is a whole other project um it's it's another kind of approach that you need to have as a composer right because it's it's a, a one hour show uh, for this show and um, it needs to make sense all together I guess the show itself maybe emphasized some moments where there is even more room for immersiveness mm -hmm. and for reflection uh, so yeah definitely it's interesting what you said about it being so subjective because I guess it's like how if you know if immersiveness is a goal then how can you guarantee that you reach that goal for every person that's in the audience like I guess you can't it's I, can, not I really cannot know of course control. no it's out of my <laughs> my control I mean it's impossible it's mm. of course impossible and uh, what might be immersive for you maybe is not for someone else so True. I'm always very curious to to hear mm. like how the experience is for for the listeners and I mean this is with with everything and everything is so subjective in life and uh, I think that's the beauty of it. I guess it also depends on the space as well. I was saying before we started recording that I really loved the venue, Silent Green. Being in that big dome made it feel quite immersive. We're going to be saying this word a lot, but <laughs> yeah, I thought that that It's the key word to today. Yeah. <laughs> I guess because you're, you're going to be touring this album to other spaces, um, are there things you have to adjust in order to kind of reach those same goals in other venues yeah a lot needs to be adjusted imagine when i will play this show outside for mm, example so true. it's it's a whole other experience and um for sure it will be perceived differently so i don't know because i mean i just played it for now once uh last week mm -hmm. and uh i will be touring the show and mm -hmm. i'm really curious about how it will will be if you think about it like when you are in a more industrial place or a more classical Already, when once you step inside and you look around you, mm. this transmits immediately something. I mean, I think everyone is so much influenced by our surroundings that this already has a message that comes with it. So, of course, every every venue, every every concert mm. will be, yeah, some little experience on its own. Do you think that the word immersive changes its meaning depending on which part of your musical world or career you're working within you know as a as a producer or as a dj or as a film composer does immersiveness change or shift i think it shifts i mean if we continue talking about the venue that is different mm. of course also the immersiveness can change if you're referring to the same show of course if i play that particular piece in that specific moment also in another place of course the musical translation can be the same even mm. though of course the surroundings are different so i guess it's it slightly shifts absolutely also how it is performed so there are always many many variables coming into place another sort of side of this that i was thinking about when i was doing my research is that in terms of performance for example something i've noticed in clips of you is that when you're playing or when you're jamming in your studio, all of your gear sort of set up kind of around you in a circle, or even going up into the sky, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, so is that just for ease of access or does that also do something for you creatively to be kind of surrounded by your machines in that way? That's a very interesting question, actually. I never got this question asked before. Mm -hmm. um, 
I actually I've never thought about it, but now that I uh, now that I'm thinking about it, I if I think about my studio or in the past I did this uh, video in my living room mm-hmm. where I was in the middle of uh, so I had the piano and I had other instruments around me, so I was literally sitting in the middle, and also my studio in the end the. Uh, Everything is around me, apart from the way to exit the the room. Mm -hmm. I would not say particularly it is because I have the need to have the instruments around me. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think it's more an aesthetical... uh, I mean, when I did the video in the living room, it was a need because I... I didn't know where to put them and I needed to have them close and they needed to be accessible because I was playing them live. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, when you're composing, you can move around and um, with something I couldn't do in in that... a specific video but my studio is also very small so mm-hmm. there is not much room for that's why they they are also on going the, upwards yeah, yeah they're going <laughs> upwards and one is actually quite up quite up i have issues reaching it so i need to stand on something <laughs> to be able to play that synthesizer but i like the fact that they are in a in an in an order that looks aesthetically nice mm-hmm. to me so mm-hmm. i need to feel uh, comfortable and I need to feel my surrounding in that case like in my studio it needs to nice to see I need to feel that it has a I don't know a comfortable or cozy mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. experience also visually so I'm always uh, every studio that I had I I always made it feel a little bit like uh, a living a cozy I wanted to have this kind of cozy living vibe that you would have in a living room let's mm-hmm, say so mm-hmm. that it's important to me somehow to feel comfortable yeah I mean I was asking because I spoke with um the producer Caitlin Aurelia Smith and she said that she when she's performing she'll purposely put her gear as far away from each other as she can on the stage so that she has to kind of like move around and reach over and walk towards other things because feeling the movement in her set really helps her um so I wonder if maybe that was something that also you Mm. were thinking about well it's interesting um like for me when I play on stage, it's not really possible because um, when I play a synthesizer, for example, I also need to have my hands on the mixer. Mm. So it's not just <laughs> physically, it's not possible to um, to have the elements very much apart from each other. So how else are you exploring immersiveness as a performer? I'm thinking, for example, of your installation, which is, I guess is also a performance installation, uh, Tuning the Wind, which I thought was specifically made for Monom, but it was uh, not. You've toured it other places as well. Yeah, I toured it also somewhere else. (laughs) Can you talk a bit about that piece uh, and maybe talk a bit about what exactly 4D sound is and how does it impact the way that you compose or structure a piece? So when I thought about tuning the wind the first time, like when I created the project, I just created it on paper. So it was an idea that I had in my my in my mind, and mm-hmm. my idea was to use a natural element as an instrument. 
So I started to think like which elements could that be? And I decided to go with the wind. Mm -hmm. And in this piece, the wind is tuned uh, to the other instrument. So it's an an integration. So the wind is not an external sound design element. It's just, I transformed the wind as if it would be a trumpet or a synthesizer or a human voice. Mm -hmm. Basically, this was my idea to uh, humanize the, the wind sometimes or to let it be an as if it was an instrument. So I created the project on paper. So I was writing about it. I was doing research about different kind of winds because I, I mean, along the way, I learned a lot about wind. <laughs> <laughs> the wind uh, can make so many different kind of sounds and it has so many different characteristics that I, I didn't know. I mean, these elements are around us, but I wasn't aware of them. Mm-hmm. So I started to collect wind recordings. Some I did myself, others were uh, made by sound design artist, uh, field recording artist Pablo mm-hmm. Dizerent that I worked together with for this piece. I started to put all these recordings into different folders like wind guts and uh, mm-hmm. howling winds <laughs> or um, whistling winds. So all these different kind of winds I started to put them together and try to understand what is the intention behind this wind. Like when the wind is steady, mm. it communicates this kind of feeling. When the wind, there are these heavy wind guts, it's of course more aggressive. And then I started to combine these wind recordings together with instruments. So where, for example, there is a whistling wind, it would almost sound like I then integrated it together with the other instruments. It almost sounds like a voice or a human whistling. So then I started to create the, the piece. And then I got this request actually by uh, to, pl- to perform it at Monom. And I had zero experience with 4D sound mm. at that time. And I thought, okay, so that's that's interesting. But I, I didn't know how the piece could be uh, sounding in, an, in a 4D sound environment. So I spent some time at Monom to do a residency. And I adapted the piece that I initially created just in stereo for the 4D sound system. And uh, that was a really nice experience because I learned a lot of things that I didn't know. And also to play tuning the wind in a 40 sound system was really mind-blowing because I could give the wind a whole other purpose. For example, the wind parts or other elements, they could really, I mean, you have this surrounding feeling that you would not have in mm-hmm. a, as in a stereo environment. Yeah. So yeah, and then I performed it at, uh, at Monom and it was, it was really great. <laughs> and then I got asked to play it also. Um, also in 4D sound somewhere else in the mm-hmm. Netherlands in this beautiful Concertgebouw and sometimes I just played in stereo in other places. Can you talk a bit about 4D sound and how exactly you adapted the piece to that? Like what kind of changes did you have to make to I guess the structure or the composition in order to have it sound the best in that setting? Mm. I did not really change the structure. So the structure of the piece stayed the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the story and the evolution remained the same. What changed is the spatialization of the mm-hmm. of the piece. So right. I decided which parts of the piece do I want to be moved around in the space and how do I want them? So for example, there is a part with the voice that recites a poem. And uh, I really wanted this voice to make a circular movement and at the same time there are parts where there are wind recordings that I really wanted to move 
from left to right and up and down like if it was like a real wind would do i decided which parts do i want to have moving which parts do i want to have more steady that need to be more like less moving around and how do i want to move them around them around and the crazy thing is that with 4d sound you can also go below mm-hmm. uh, like below the the ground so you can have a sound coming from under so you have this perception of that the sound comes from under the the floor mm-hmm. and then it goes up and uh, i mean there are so many possibilities and combinations at the beginning i was overwhelmed. i was completely overwhelmed <laughs> yeah. i said okay i have no idea like how far <laughs> can we go please give me uh, some suggestions because i was um, yeah i was definitely overwhelmed by the, mm. all the possibilities and also when i then um, i mean i stayed there i we tested a lot of different kind of specializations for the piece until I liked what I heard and uh, what I experienced. And of course, then when I brought it to at Concertgebouw in Amsterdam, which was another place, very big, super high. It was mm. this big dome, very, very big. So it had then to be... Then you had to re- redo everything. I had to readapt, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. So not completely everything, but several things had to be readapted because, of course, the speakers are were in different positions. The number of speakers were not exactly... Uh, the same, of course, the the space is different. So yeah. And now I will also um, be going to to London, and there the space will be different again. Mm-hmm. So there is always a let's say if if a sound check in a normal stereo environment can be long for sure, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> a sound check or a setup for a four D sound is is definitely longer. Longer, yeah. I kind of get the feeling that four D sound or maybe Monam in particular particular is kind of the ultimate immersive experience even though there's no visuals i still feel like having the sound kind of be everywhere including underneath the ground is really impactful would you say like how did how was it to experience it when you finally got to play it for people it was definitely as you say immersive because you are literally in the middle of it so Mm. the sound is around you so physically it's definitely that you are physically immersed but of course that is a a physical immersiveness mm-hmm. so there i think there are different kind of immersiveness you have the more mental immersiveness mm-hmm. and you have a physical immersiveness so physically of course with the 4d sound you can create that which you can not really do you cannot have a, a surrounding sound with the stereo just uh, stereo listening experience of course so uh for sure the physical one uh was was there and uh yeah, for me was was really nice to to play with space. I I never did that before, and yeah. uh, I'm a big fan now of that. <laughs> I and I th- you're only gonna play in 4D sound. <laughs> I I think I mean I would love actually to, and I told that also to the 4D sound team to in the future make a piece knowing that it will be uh, reproduced by the 4D sound system because for tuning mm-hmm. the wind I didn't know, and I and I adapted it afterwards. Right. But if you compose something knowing that it will be played and performed with that uh, sound system i think you compose differently Mm -hmm. from the start so that's definitely something that intrigues me and that i would like to do did you only perform the piece or was it also there as an installation for example that people could come and listen to without you playing it that's also a very interesting uh question that i um when i was in amsterdam before the the concert we did a workshop uh all together mm-hmm. and I got asked the same question and uh, the funny thing is that the installation like tuning the wind when I thought of it when I created the project on paper like I said before 
I thought of it as a listening experience that could exist without me being present. But in the end, I always until now got asked to perform it live. So until now, it has never been played without me being there. So in, in a, like playing in loop. I mean, it never happened until now. <laughs> so it's, it's, quite, it's quite funny that I have always been there, like for the, also for the times that I played it in stereo. I, yeah. play, I performed it live. Uh, but you would be up for letting it be an installation. Like, yeah. What do you think I, that I, would be I, like? Yeah. Kind of, I was going to ask, what do you think it would be like to, to just release it into Let the world? Let it go. But I guess that's the same thing as releasing an album, maybe? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's similar. It's maybe not the same thing because, of course, an album is something that you can play when you want. So it's you can decide when to listen to it. If you go to an installation, it's just there for mm-hmm. a limited period of time. So it's more limited in time, right? Mm-hmm. And um, But no, I'm, I'm definitely ready to let the piece go in that sense. It's int- interesting. Will be, of course, very different. I mean, I, I will not be there. So uh, I'm not in control of how it would sound. So that's... That's really interesting. Do you have other sort of installation-y projects that you're working on at the moment? You said you were touring a couple other projects. I'm touring, uh, so touring Tuning the Wind that we were mm-hmm. talking about. I'm tuning the new album, All Above Life, that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And I'm also touring an audio video show uh, with a visual artist called Marco Ciceri, and mm-hmm. it's called Fog. And we have been playing it now since summer 2022. We performed it for the first time in Kraftwerk in Berlin for Tresor 31st. So I have these three shows, let's say. I'm also thinking uh, about a new sound installation for the future. Um, But I'm a bit busy in this (laughs) period. So I, I have this idea in my mind. Actually, I, I wrote down some, some things, but I have, I mean, there are some, major ideas with some I still have to develop and others are more in a more like uh, developed uh, uh, point place place. yeah Yeah, and there (laughs) but yeah it needs time I mean um, I'm now like with the album launch and with the with the new tour Uh I I I did not have the time for another another installation yet you mentioned playing at Kraftwerk um, and that's a really interesting space to me because I, I sometimes feel like it should be one of those really kind of overwhelming really immersive spaces but actually I find that often it's not because it's so tall that sound mm. kind of just escapes well I love I love graphic I'm a big fan and I love going there as mm-hmm. uh, to go in to enter there already get this I'm already excited you know and uh, so it was really nice to play there I didn't play in the, on the first uh, floor Lovely. where you have this uh, main stage mm-hmm. it was on uh, stage null null if it's correctly pronounced <laughs> i don't know stage uh, so it's on the ground floor yeah so they did the whole festival there right okay so it's it's less high let's say so you don't have mm. this uh high ceilings there mm-hmm. i love the place and it's uh it's vibe and uh the energy there
talk a bit about how you craft your albums? So I know that for All Above, for example, it took you two years to make, I think. Yeah, two, yes. Um, and I can imagine that as you're kind of putting yourself in, into this project for such a long time, it really grows with you and you kind of start to live inside of it a little bit, if that makes sense. Yeah, it like, does. Is that it how does it is make for sense. you? It does make sense. Um, there are other albums, like when I made Pineapple, for example, I made it in a very limited period of time. Mm. But just because I had a lot of time on my hands back then, I don't know, I made it uh, in three months. But I was working every day, many hours a day. So I was very much immersed in the composition in the composition and um all above is more spread over a longer period of time i mean it's not that i was of course making it every day <laughs> because it's just not possible i have uh, concerts to play or other things yeah. to do so although i sometimes really like to keep periods from for like studio time that are long so that i really can immerse myself in a definite like specific project with the album some tracks are older, some pieces were done years ago, others were more recent. Of course, the the album, how can I say, the album was spread over over a longer period of time. So it, I took it with me, kind of, you know, like uh, I took it with my, my emotions changed, my experiences changed. Mm. So it has different influences throughout the whole album. I think that's also present in the pieces because... They are different from each other. Everyone has their has their own emotion behind it. I guess I'm wondering if immersiveness is something that's also essential for you to experience while you're making an album, even if it's not the same kind of immersiveness that I feel when I listen to it. Of, uh, yeah, I mean, I like to immerse myself in... I need to immerse myself because if I don't, I'm too way too much on the surface, so I'm unable to understand or to, to go in, in, in depth into a piece. So I... And this sometimes is quite intense because if I'm composing a, a piece and I'm really into in, into what I'm doing, I, I just can't stop until it's done or mm. when I have the feeling that the piece is finished. I mean, days are limited, so I it sometimes happens that I have this a piece in the making and I will say, okay, I'll continue tomorrow. I just keep thinking about it the whole evening or I sometimes go with it to to sleep you know <laughs> so it it stucks in my in my head and this really means that i'm immersed in it i would say so mm. i was reading in another interview of yours that sometimes if you have a tight deadline or if you're kind of running out of time on a project that you'll just plan periods of like being fully immersed in one thing where you only work on that entirely until it's finished um is that hard for you like for me i could never do that because i just need to be doing more than one thing and if I'm only doing one thing, I find that I'm less focused on it. When I have a tight deadline, I don't have, um, let's say, enough time to be focused on different mm. tasks. So I need to limit myself to one. I mean, I'm also a person that likes to do several things at, at I wouldn't say at the same time, but in the same day, I like to diversify. Mm -hmm. I mean, this has pros and cons. Sometimes I'm switching from one task to another and I just lose time in between and I am unable to focus or so I'm I would say I'm the opposite <laughs> and if I work on one project uh, at this at, at, at once just at, at, in one defined period of time I would uh, be able to go more in depth if I focus on on, on mm. that only so sometimes when yeah when I have a deadline 
I need to do that. And I, I like to do that too. Like I, I like to um, structureize my calendar and say, okay, these days I just do that. And the other days I just do that. It gives me also kind of peace of mind <laughs> yeah. when I try to do that. I mean, I don't know. For me, it's like if I have left, uh, I have to edit a podcast episode and I've left it to the last minute and then I absolutely have to work on it. And it's like, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. I hate that. <laughs> and I feel like I've just... I want to have a break from it, but I know that I can't. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Can that ever happen to you where it's like too much of a too much of one thing is a bad thing? It it can happen that it becomes too much because we all need, I guess, at least I need to distance myself myself from from things and from projects and from pieces because if I'm too much into it, I lose uh, objectivity and. When I may compose a piece and when I think it's finished or when it's done, I need to take some some days or weeks not listening to it and then get back to it after some time. So, yes, it can be too too much sometimes just mm. because when you're too much in it, I think, yeah, you need to, I mean, see things from the outside and you're unable to do that in that, that moment. I like what you said about distancing yourself from things once they're finished. Do you do that with every project where something is done and then you kind of have to step back from it for a bit in order to see it with fresh eyes? I definitely <laughs> try to do that. I mean, with almost everything. Also, if I uh, imagine I need to record a mix, for example. Mm. So I would record the mix. I would then just let it rest and then listen to mm. it some days after if I have the time. So I would structure my time. So going back to the mm -hmm. scheduling my time, I would structure it in a way that I leave some time for taking a break in between right. and then listening to it back again after some sometimes. So I, I go back to, to what I did with, with, um, with a pause in, in between. I think it's necessary, yes, for composition, for mixes, for rereading a text that I mm. wrote or for almost everything and so what about when you kind of pair things back completely I'm thinking about your one instrument label which I think is really interesting um so for these releases as far as I understand Thank you. <laughs> you're asking artists to compose with only one instrument and I think while that might seem limiting to other people um actually I think it can be really it can really open up a lot more than you think it would like when you're just focusing on one thing kind of realize all the other possibilities that you can make with the, just this one thing is that sort of how you've experienced it it's absolutely true because i started the label with i mean in the beginning it was not even a label it was not my idea to to create a label it was just an experiment that i did for myself because i was composing and i was i was composing and i noticed that i was moving too fast from one instrument to the oh. other because i don't know maybe i would start with one synthesizer and i'm after a certain amount of time, I would be already moving to something else or adding effects or changing what I was doing. And I thought, what if I just choose one instrument that I have in my studio and mm -hmm. I sit with that um, and I make a piece just with that instrument, also avoiding effects because for, for the label, only re reverb is allowed in editing. So you okay. cannot add distortion yeah. or delay or flanger or cars mm -hmm. or whatever so I thought I want to try to see what I can get out of the instrument and I did that as a test for myself so I made the first piece with MS-20 the Korg MS-20 and uh, I really liked the 
the experience and after that I asked other artists to do the same and that's how the whole label started because after some years I just I was just putting the pieces on on SoundCloud and some people asked me like where can I buy the pieces I said there is actually they are not for sale <laughs> and so and then after step by step the label um, started to um, yeah, it started to be a label. The very nice thing also is that I got to know a lot of people, a lot of artists, a lot of composers. And sometimes they say, uh, the, um, it looks so hard to do this. Yeah. Like, how do I do this <laughs> just with one instrument and with all these restrictions? But then they said, thank you. This pushed me to sit with the instrument and have more time and dedicate myself mm-hmm. to that instrument with more patience and mm-hmm. with more... Mm, I can even say maybe with more comprehension Mm. Uh, and also yeah it's kind of staying true to the instrument it's it's a bit of a purest idea what is behind it and I really like that me too and I think that it can seem I think for a lot of producers and composers it can seem like it's a benefit to have loads of instruments or loads of gear and loads of options but actually I'm assuming it can be a little bit daunting because it's like, as you said, either you're jumping from one thing to one thing or you're overlooking things or um, you just don't actually know where to start because there's too many options, if that makes sense. It does, yeah. I guess it kind of goes back to what we were saying before about like too much immersion, like too too much stuff surrounding you sort of thing. (laughs) Too much is not good. Yeah, exactly. So what about immersiveness in an actual like creative or compositional sense? A technique that I want to mention is polyphonic work. Mixing layers of the same instrument together, um, would you consider that a kind of immersion? Of course. I mean, if you multi-layer uh, elements, they become, I, 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 I don't know, I think you, were, you are in that moment adding more elements, so the, it could become, become more massive, more full, mm. but that not necessarily would mean more immersiveness, I guess, because I mean, it. I would be 
maybe immersed in that moment while I'm creating because I'm adding and I'm working on it. But the end result, I wouldn't say it's more immersive. Something very minimal can be very immersive. Sure, so sure, sure. Can you speak a bit, a bit about how that process of layering works for you? How do you make a piece like that involves that without making it seem sort of overwhelming or messy or unbalanced? When I'm composing, <laughs> I like to add layers and... Uh, when I'm just freely composing, I try to not uh, limit myself to adding or changing or um, readapting parts. And then only afterwards, I try to take out what mm-hmm. I, uh, what is too much or what is not fitting. But it's also uh, true that I mix a lot on the go. Like mixing for me is part of the creative process. So mm-hmm. um, it's a a back and forth thing all the time so I compose and then I'm mixing at the same time I'm listening back I'm re-recording I'm resampling other parts or so it's um it's many things combined yeah I, I mean it's not easy to find a balance where it's not overwhelming because if you add 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 but it depends how you add and how you mix I, I think mixing is the key in this <laughs> to this um, question and also be critical I mean I think we need to be very critical towards our own work yeah I guess there's like a point where you have to learn when when enough is enough or when to keep taking things out instead of adding I agree I mean it's not easy to set that limit but sometimes it's easier to add things and to take them out but it's also experimenting right because when when you you compose and then you start to, it happens sometimes that I try to take out and then I'm, you get to a whole other piece. And that for me is experimentation because from one point you, you arrive to something that you would not imagine before. And so what about when you're then translating all of this to a live setting? How do you ensure that that balance is there as well? For example, with your all above performance, there were definitely some moments where it could have been overwhelming but it wasn't because it was in the right hands I guess so how do you ensure that sort of balance between making something that's immersive and not wanting it to be aggressive Hmm. that's always difficult because every venue has a different sound so if I'm talking mixing wise I spend always a a lot of time at the front of house (laughs) talking Mm -hmm. with the technician and and equalizing that's really a big big part of the sound check so uh so I sometimes prepare some some pieces that I would just play back, some random pieces that I know how I want them to sound. So I would play back them and I, I go to the back. So I go to the front of the house and I start equalizing, which gives me a bit of an idea of how the how the venue sounds. So, and then I would move around and, and yeah, it takes a lot of uh, time. I mean, I don't tour with a sound uh, technician with me that mm-hmm. knows how I want things to sound. So I need to do this myself. Uh, together with the with the engineer that is there and um, so I guess yeah I try to do this way and of course also on the on stage I have a mixer and everything runs through the mixer so I mix and I equalize so it's let's say firstly done through the mixer so by me on stage so I I'm hearing what I do that's why I also said I I need to have my hand on the mixer while Mm -hmm. I play because I need to control it somehow, you know. So firstly, it's done by me, and then secondly, 
there is a, an equalization done based on how the venue sounds. Aside from the technical sort of side of things that you just mentioned, I wonder about the maybe more emotional side. So this is very random, so bear with me, but I interviewed an opera singer recently and she said that <laughs> she said that when she's on stage, she has to be really careful about how she's performing because she wants to be really emotional and get really lost in, in the music, but she can't be so emotional that it's hard for her to sing or hard for her to focus or she's not remembering what she's doing. So I wonder if that resonates with you in that you have to balance you know, getting lost in the performance and really letting go with also staying in control of what you're doing and all the technical things that you just mentioned. I definitely need to find a balance because mm -hmm. sometimes it happened that maybe I was playing, I was really into playing a, a part and uh, that maybe I forgot, not that I forgot, but then you are so much in it that it's hard to control the mm. levels of mm -hmm. that, that output, you know, the volume level. So uh, I need to be at the same time aware of the technical aspect, but also of the, um, the creative aspect. So these two elements, they are kind of, uh, they need to be balanced and it's not definitely not, not easy. <laughs> so I understand this uh what 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 the opera singer told you i mean it's not my case but um in that in that extreme way that i'm unable to play because maybe i'm too emotional of course there are some parts that i'm very emotional mm -hmm. but still um i'm not singing so it's not something yeah. that comes out of my body and uh, that would definitely be way more difficult i, sure. I think i remember Like when I was young, I would sing in, in bands and I was singing. And I remember that it was hard sometimes because mm -hmm. imagine you are very tired and imagine singing when you're very tired or when you uh, your voice is low. So it's it's a very physical thing that, of course, when you play um, instruments, it is your the limit is maybe your in that case, your mind and, yeah. and, and, and of course, also your body. But It's not as uh, in, in physical mm -hmm. as, of course, it would be as a singing. But so for you, when you're playing, are you able to get into that, I guess, flow state is what most people would call it, where you're kind of like lost in what you're doing? Or is the technical side of things coming into it so much that you can't ever like truly lose yourself? Interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I guess I am... I am able to to lose myself in the piece, so to let myself go. And when that happens, that's amazing. Of course, it doesn't always happen. But when it does, it's extra special. But it depends on many factors. So it's very random. And that's always very interesting. Like, when does it happen and why? You know, so <laughs> there are many. It also depends on the people, like the energy and the dialogue that you have with, with the audience. That back and forth is... Is also very important. Of course, the technical aspect is always is always there, mm. <laughs> so you need to be aware of of that at the same time. I guess if you were like in that flow state every time, then it wouldn't be as special. Yeah. So when it happens, <laughs> it's extra. Is I mean, I I would think of like imagine you are a classical pianist, mm. right? So I mean, you can let go, but you also need to be aware of the tech, yeah. the technical mm -hmm. aspect of the performance itself, and. Also, as you said, this opera singer, sometimes if they let go too much, they were unable to sing. So mm. 
that would be the same like in my case if I let myself go maybe too much I would be unable to think of the technical aspect which mm-hmm. in my case would be more connected to uh, volume wise or equalization wise mm-hmm. and uh, about what like which uh, notes and chords I'm playing how am I modulating mo- the modular how am I playing the my parts but this makes it also very very exciting I mean it is balance yeah gives it every time an extra it gives this this adrenaline to mm-hmm. the to the performance that uh, I think for me is very exciting. Something else that you've talked about in other interviews is that music is really language without words for you, that it externalizes the emotions that you're feeling. Uh, I really like that and I appreciate that there's a deeper connection for you and the music that you put out because I'm, I feel that I'm learning. <laughs> That's not true for everybody. So yeah, is that something that happens naturally for you, bringing your emotions into what you're composing, um, like you're able to create in a way that's more emotional rather than, I don't know, academic or intellectual or technical. Yes, I I find that this is my main uh, way of composing. Although, of course, when there are commissioned works or when I need to, I mean, even though when I have a very specific guideline or imagine mm. there is a sound insulation or... I need to make a piece for something very, very specific. Still, even if I would be surrounded by technicalities, mm-hmm. I find my way to give space to my emotion. Because if I wouldn't, if I wouldn't do that, it wouldn't sound like what I wanted to express. So I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But if I would not put my emotion into it, then if I, if I would not translate that emotion into sound it would feel distant from myself Mm. and that's not what I want to express and in the end like when I (laughs) when I give space to this and when I when I give room for this emotion to be able to be translated it happens that then only then I am able to express that kind of melody or sound or Mm. timbre that I that I want to do if I think about it sometimes too much um, or if it's more mental yeah maybe I get lost in the thought of it you know something else that you've talked about is how you kind of absorb everything that you encounter and are surrounded by like good things bad things neutral things and then all of that is used in the music and I like that it seems kind of like the cyclical sort of thing like you take everything in and then you put it all back out and then take it in again and back out um is that sort of how you experience it? Why would you say that that's accurate? It's accurate. I mean, I think this happens to everyone, not mm. just to me, because we are surrounded by so many things that we absorb. Good things, bad things, neutral things, and um, all these things, we absorb them often unconsciously. And then they stick with us without us noticing it sometimes. And then... When the moment comes that you say, all right, now this is my moment to exhale. So to let go of something, like put it out into music or in any kind of art form that is the art form you want to use in that moment to express what you have to say. We carry these things with us in the expression. So if uh, all these things, we, yeah, the, we gather them inside of uh, inside us and they just come out do you think that all of that contributes to the experience for a listener like do you think that we can hear that in your music i hope it does somehow (laughs) but if it doesn't 
I think it doesn't matter because in the end it's very subjective. So something, a specific emotion that I had and that I was translating into a piece might be very different perceived like by another listener. So in the end, I think what really matters is that it just gives a feeling of something. So it could be any kind of uh, reaction, any kind of emotion, any kind of confrontation. So as long as there is a dialogue, like a listening interiorizing and experience, I think that's always good. You've been listening to Grand River for Air Podcast, episode 55. We'll be back on the last Wednesday of the month, so check back in May for another episode. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at at underscore air podcast or subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash air podcast. We've also got a semi-regular Substack newsletter, which you can find at airpodcast.substack.com. All these links are also in the description below. That's it for this month. Thank you so much for listening and see you in May. Thank you.